Welcome to God's Truth. I'm your instructor, Dr. D. Todd Harrison, as we continue to flood the world with God's truth. This week we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 through 16 as we continue in Paul's great epistle to the Corinthians. We had previously done two episodes on the book of Romans. This is now the third episode on the Corinthians. And so some of you, if you think back on and those of you who have been with us for these five lessons, just think about how much you've learned since we began with the first week of Romans. You're all now uh, uh, Pauline scholars. Uh, you, you know, you're scholars on the Apostle Paul. You now know more about the Apostle Paul than 99.99999% of all Christians and members of the church out there. May you continue to study and, and look forward to hearing the Word of God. Uh, today, we'll look what Paul said in chapters 14 through 16 of his great epistle, 1 Corinthians. And of that same Lord and God, Jesus Christ, I testify as one of his witnesses that he lives today. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He sits enthroned at the right hand of the Heavenly Father in splendor and glory. Let's look here today at chapter 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we'll begin with uh, verses 1 through 5. He had um, just previously in last week's lesson had uh, given the uh, in chapter 12 had given a, a great chapter on the different kinds of spiritual gifts that exist in the church and that everybody kind of has a different spiritual gift so we can work together as one body to build up the body of Christ. <clears throat> chapter 14, verse 1 through 5, follow after charity. And he had just come out of that charity chapter in 13. A lot of us have a lot of those verses of scripture uh, memorized uh, in, uh, uh, you know, in verse 2, for example, of 13, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. Right. Okay, so let's look here, chapter 14, 1 through 5, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts. Well, God will never give you any blessing. For anything, if you don't first desire to, to have such blessing, you need to develop the desire. Then you need to ask in faith and truly believe that God will grant you uh, that desire, as long as it's a righteous desire in accordance with the will and mind of the Lord. But rather that uh, that she prophesied. Now he's going to set up that the uh, prophecy is the is the best spiritual gift because with it you can most edify the body of Christ. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto man. So if someone starts speaking in tongues, but we don't know what he's saying, then, you know, he's only speaking unto God. For no man understands him. How about in the spirit he speaks mysteries? Even if he's speaking in tongues and speaking mysteries, only God can understand him. Therefore, it doesn't profit anybody. But he that prophesies speaketh unto man to edification. Prophecy helps build up the, the body of Christ, the, the, the whole congregation. And exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. Yeah, maybe he's getting some kind of spiritual benefit from it. But he that prophesieth edifieth the whole church, right? I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except the interpreter of the church may receive edifying. Uh, verse 12. 
Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church, right? You want to seek spiritual gifts for the purpose of helping to build up your local church. 16 through 19. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say, Amen at the giving of thanks? Even if you're speaking in tongues and you're blessing people with the Spirit of the Lord, that they don't understand, why are they going to say Amen when you're done giving thanks, right? Saying he understandeth not what you're saying, doesn't understand what you're saying. 17, for thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. No edification when you speak in tongues. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than... <laughs> Go, Paul. So those of you who have uh, been with us now understand Paul better than anybody, right? You understand Paul. <laughs> you understand his character, his personality. What else is Paul going to say here, right? <laughs> Says he's a better apostle than all the apostles, even though we've looked at he's He's not an, an administrative uh, uh, general authority in the church, right? He, he brags about, uh, you know, that he's the one that's strong in the faith and the first presidency and the Quorum of Twelve are weak in the faith. You know, he says, all, he just boasts all the time, all this stuff, right? So what else is he going to say in here? 18? I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all. <laughs> here, I'm, here I'm knocking down those who speak, have the spiritual gift speaking with tongues because they don't seem to be edifying anybody but themselves, and only God can understand them. However, I still speak in <laughs> tongues better than all of you. <laughs> Good old Paul here. Huh? Okay. Yet in the church, I would rather speak, but yet... Even though I can speak in tongues better than all of you, I would rather speak five words that are understood by people uh, that I, so that I might teach others also. Then 10,000 words in the, with this gift of tongue thing, right? Now, the Pentecostals, you know, I hope you're, this is lessons for you, right? You stand up in your congregation and start speaking blah, 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 blah. Doesn't do anybody any good. They don't understand you, right? That's what Paul's saying here. He's knocking down those types of churches who the congregants stand up and start speaking in tongue right like that right okay so we'll move on now to 22 to 25 wherefore tongues are for a sign not to them that believe so it is a sign god's given the gift of tongues for a sign but not for those who believe but to them that don't believe but prophesying serveth not for them that believes not, but for them which believe. So prophesying is for the members of the church, those who have already accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior and have committed themselves to being baptized by those who hold the priesthood and authority of God and those who then received the gift of the Holy Ghost and are doing their best to endure to the end. That's who the prophesying is for. Those who are not yet believers in the church they can uh, have some benefit by seeing somebody speak in the gift of tongues. Twenty-three. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that you are mad? However, you do take the risk that if unbelievers came in, see you, see a bunch of you start speaking in tongues, they're going to think you're crazy, right? They're going to think you're drunk or that you're crazy or something like that. Again, Pentecostals, listen to this. Right? 24, but if all prophesy and they come in one that doesn't believe or one that's unlearned, 
He is convinced of all and he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so he may actually fall down and worship God. 31. There's some great nuggets of truth here in chapter 14, 31. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. 34 through 40. Oh, here we go, right? <laughs> go, Paul. Okay, woman. <laughs> woman, here you go. There's, there's a scripture for you here, right? Let your woman keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. If they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. So, so Paul, Paul here is saying that it's a shame. That's why there's some churches who don't allow women to be pastors, right? Because they have here in the Bible, Paul's uh, uh, opinion here. This is, of course, probably being as this is either revelation getting for the time through Paul and in the time and the culture in which they they live, or it's just Paul speaking in my own personal opinion, right? Earlier, you know, in our prior in some of our prior lessons, he said, "I'm going to give you some advice about marriage." But then he tells us three times in that chapter, you know, I didn't get this from God. This is just my own personal opinion. He doesn't say that here, right? He doesn't say that here. So maybe he is being commanded by God to say that, right? So, you know, and, you know, so let your woman keep silence in the church. So the woman to go to church, they should just keep silent. If they want to question or, or learn anything, they go home and they ask their husbands. And the husbands will then tell them what you know, they're imper their opinion of what they just got from their Sunday school lesson or from their worship meeting, sacrament meeting. Okay, so then he says here, 36, What came the word of God out from you or came it unto you only? If any man think himself to be a problem, <laughs> go Paul. Now, you, you're all set up for this now, right? Because this is our fifth lesson now on Paul. You understand Paul now better than 99.99 percent of people out there so again this doesn't come you know we just got another hey, i speak in tongues better than all of you right well we, we, here we go again paul right? this is personality this is the way he talked we we love him for it right don't we love paul you know that we love paul for this right here we go 37 if any man think himself to be a prophet if anyone wants to think they're prophet or even if they think they're spiritual watch this let him or her acknowledge that the things I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. <laughs> Again, this doesn't, shouldn't those of you who have followed us for the last five lessons, this doesn't surprise us at all, does it? I mean, he's been bashing down uh, President James and, uh, and his counselors, Peter and John, and the quorum of the 12 left and right, right? You know, just outright, just uh, attack after attack after attack after attack. So, Suddenly, <laughs> he says something like that, right? We can, we've come to expect that from Paul. That's, the, that's his personality. But yet, again, we keep referring to Doctrine and Covenants, section 18, verse 9. Nearly 2,000 years later, Jesus Christ called Paul mine apostle, right? So he really has been called by Jesus Christ. He has an interesting personality. <laughs> he offends a lot of people. 
you know, but he's going around uh, uh, here. Now, if you ask the question, does well, does the first presidency know he's out here doing this? <laughs> we know that, yes. Matter of fact, they do. Because when we get to the epistles of Peter, Peter's going to acknowledge that there's some things in Paul that's difficult to understand, right? So they are aware of Paul's letters. They are aware he's bashing them down left and right, right? So here we go. If any man think himself to be a prophet, James, Peter, John, Quorum of the Twelve, uh, maybe the Seventy here. If any of you really think you're a prophet, or if you even think you're spiritual, then you need to then you need to acknowledge that the things I'm writing are the commandments of the Lord. <laughs> now, what's the problem with that, right? You've been with us for the last five lessons here on Paul, and some of you were with us with the books with the Book of Acts. What's the problem here, right? Is he teaching what the Quorum of the Twelve and the first presidency is teaching. No, right? He's he's acknowledging you need to keep the Ten Commandments and live a righteous life. However, he's saying you don't need to keep the law of Moses. What's the first presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve doing? Going around telling people they need to keep the law of Moses, right? So here, this is a, again in a direct attack on James, Peter, John, the Quorum of the Twelve, and the, the hierarchy of the church. He's saying, look, if any of you think you're really a prophet or if any of you think you're really spiritual, you need to acknowledge that the things I've written are commandments from the Lord. <laughs> and, then they're, and they're thinking, who appointed this guy to speak for the church? He's not a member of the hierarchy of the church. He's not an administrative apostle. He's not a member of the Quorum of Twelve. He's not a member of the Quorum of the Seventy. Who's appointed this crazy Paul out here going around and making the bold declarations such as that? But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant, right? So if they don't, if they don't believe me, if James, if James, Peter, and John, they don't believe me, and they want to continue to live the law of Moses against what I've said here, then just let them be continue to be ignorant. Then earlier he had said, remember he said, he said he goes around telling people that he's an apostle to make the real apostles, you know. Well, we should say not real apostle, because we know, again, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He said that at the beginning of his epistle, right? But Jesus backs it up nearly 2,000 years later, Paul, my apostle, right? So we'll continue to use administrative apostles, those in the Quorum of the Twelve, ones that people traditionally think of as apostles, but they're really administrative apostles uh, running the affairs of the church. Uh, so... So here he's remember he said that I go around calling myself an apostle because I want to make the administrative apostles jealous so that they'll be jealous of my success and jealous of the fact I'm calling my apostle so that hopefully they can finally do away with this law of Moses and maybe I can actually save some of them save some, he, he's hoping Paul's hoping he can save some of the quorum of the twelve and save some of the first presidency right right back here again Paul. Okay, so we continue on, and he ends this chapter here. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, and forbid not to speak with tongues. Remember, he often does that, right? So he's like, he, he was just saying, you know, you really shouldn't be speaking in tongues. Uh, you know, it's much better to prophesy. If you speak in tongues, you're really only edifying yourself, and only God can understand you. But then he comes back here. Well, covet to prophesy. But don't forbid anybody to speak in tongues. <laughs> Let all things be done decently and in order. 
<clears throat> we should probably point out for members of the church, back to the woman uh, here about the woman keeping silent in the church for not permitted them to speak. Now that's what Paul most likely did right. How, uh, sometimes in the JST translation, what Joe Smith's doing is is not not restoring what the original language of the text. A lot of people think that sometimes he's making things more doctrinally correct. So Joseph Smith goes instead of speak goes with rule. So it's not permitted for the woman to rule in the church. They can rule in the woman's organizations of the church, but they can't rule over the church and over the man as a general uh, um, as a general authority uh, of the church. So that's Joseph Smith, what Joseph Smith did uh, there too. Well, Paul had originally said that they shouldn't even speak in church, but go home, ask their husbands if they have any questions, right? Okay, well, God made me just tell you that uh, part there. So hopefully, I guess somebody there needed, needed that. So, okay, we'll continue on then to chapter 15. And we'll begin with, Verse 1, moreover, brethren, and this, this is loaded here in chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein ye stand, but which you are also saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. So I'm only passing on to you the traditions and the stories in the history that I've heard from others, that Jesus Christ did what? He died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And here's the witnesses of that resurrection. And that he was seen of Cephas, so the Peter, that's Peter's Aramaic name. He was seen of Cephas, Peter, and then of the 12. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part still remain alive, but some of them are fallen asleep. Some of them have died off. After that, he was seen of his brother James, then of all the apostles. Right? So the apostles outside of the quorum of the 12, the administrative uh, officers of the church leading and governing the affairs of the church and all the nations. Okay, so, and there's a great uh, story about his appearance to his brother James in the Apocalypse of James, in which James basically had taken a vow not to eat until he saw his brother risen from the dead. Jesus appears to him. James, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm alive. You can now eat. So real touching um, the story there about his resurrection on appearance to his brother, James. Okay. And last of all, he was seen of me also, uh, also as one born out of due time. So he again, now, now he's going to start, start to build up again that, look, I'm one of them. You know, he's, he's argued this before. We've seen him argue this in the prior weeks, right? That I'm just as much an apostle as the administrative quorum of the 12 because I also have seen Jesus risen from the dead. For I am the least of the apostles. So here again, trying to include himself. That I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So uh, then he says here, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am an apostle, right? Whether James likes it, whether Peter likes it, whether the Quorum of the Twelve like it, I am an apostle. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. Here we go. Here we go, guys. And this is not the best translation. It reads, it reads ones like the Living Bible 
for example, right? You might have fun looking this verse up and all the different uh, uh, translations. But here we go. Here we go. He's going to bash him down again, isn't he? <laughs> Keep in mind again, and, and for those of you who are just joining us for this lesson, right? He's upset of two major things, right? Paul, Paul, Paul is very upset of the Quorum of the Twelve in the first presence because, one, he's seen Jesus Christ, and yet they're refusing to call him to be a member of the Quorum of the Twelve whenever a vacancy occurs. They're also not even calling him to be a member of the Seventy or any other kind of general authority in the church. So that's the first thing he's upset about. Two, he's also upset about that he goes out, that, that he's gotten, he, he got in the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. In a moment of weakness, he got James to, to decide for the church that it's okay for Gentiles to become members of the church as long as they abstain from fornication and from eating things strangled uh, and, and from eating things with blood or things uh, sacrificed to idols. That was a moment of weakness because he's now going out still telling the Gentiles you need to keep the law of Moses. But he had agreed. He had sent out a letter uh, to, to the community in Antioch that it was okay not to keep the law of Moses. He backtracked on that right away. He's been going around. And so Peter, uh, so Paul will go to a community. They'll teach them they don't have to keep the law of Moses any longer. And then James sends out the, the administrative a quorum of the 12 apostles or some 70s to then go and say that basically Paul's a liar. Uh, what he said was not true, that you do need to keep the law of Moses. So those are the two things upsetting him. That's why he continues to attack over and over again uh, the Peter, uh, the, you know, the first presidency, James, Peter, John, and the quorum of the 12 apostles. That's why he's doing that. We know, we know he's probably aware that they're reading his letters because Peter said there are things in Paul that are difficult to understand, right? Whether, whether it's difficult to understand why he keeps bashing us down or why he's, or it's difficult to understand why he keeps saying you don't have to give a law of Moses. We don't, we don't exactly know what, why, why, what Peter is talking about there, but he says that there's things in Paul that are difficult to understand. So the first presidency is aware of the letters that, that, that Paul is sending out to these communities. Here we go, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am an apostle. Right, here we go. Whether they like it or not, I am an apostle, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I have worked harder than all of them. <laughs> the King James translation, but I labored more abundantly than they all. But he's the, 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 if you look at some of the other translations, right, he's trying to say here, I worked harder than all of them, right? They're all sitting in Jerusalem. They go out occasionally. <laughs> they go occasionally. They're sitting in Jerusalem, living off of the people's tithing, off the people's fast offerings and so forth. I'm out there making tents with my fellow co-workers, who I also have named apostles, which are the four guys that signed this letter at the end of chapter 16, and Barnabas, who was a 70, but he calls him an apostle as well in Acts, right? So I've, he's kind of set up his own half a quorum of the 12, right? Timothy's included there too as an apostle. Right? He's kind of got his quorum of six or so, uh, the, the apostles uh, there. But uh, so here he goes. that He's labored more abundantly. They're out there making their own tents to support themselves. They're not living off of the tithing. They're not living off of that stuff. They're going out suffering persecutions and beatings and whippings and shipwrecks and all these things. Well, the 12 living a comfortable life is what he's arguing here. So I've labored more abundantly than they all. Yeah, and then he's like, but then he's like, but actually it wasn't really me. It was really the Holy Ghost working through me. 
Yet, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so ye believe. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, uh, how come some of you are saying there's no resurrection of the dead, right? We, I, just pre, I just point out there's more than 500 witnesses, including me. So why are you going out saying there's no resurrection of the dead? So again, showing that there was an apostasy in the early church. Already, they're starting to deny the resurrection. Soon they're going to deny that Jesus has body parts and passions, right? Okay, so they're already starting that here, aren't they? They're saying there's no resurrection. Jesus Christ has no body, right? <laughs> totally contrary to the Bible, right? Everywhere we've looked, dozens and dozens of references. And they say the same thing today, right? Most of the apostate, the false Christianity world continues to preach that you know, Jesus, some floating spirit that's everywhere and yet nowhere present, that has no body, no parts, no passion. And yet over and over again the, in the New Testament, he kept appearing to his apostles, eating fish with them and saying, handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. That's the biblical Jesus. That's the one you need to worship, not the false Jesus. That's some the, no body, no parts, no passions. That's blasphemous doctrine. That's completely false. That's uh, that's heresy. Uh, that's, heret that's heretical. And, and you need to repent and reject that from your lives. And if Christ be not risen, then basically our preaching is in vain. Because the first thing I said here in chapter 15 is I'm preaching what I received, that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, was buried and rose from the dead. So our preaching is in vain if Christ did not rise. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching in vain. And your faith is also vain. If you don't truly believe in the resurrected Jesus, it doesn't matter what you believe in. Your your faith is vain, vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God. We would be a false witness of God. If we'd gone around telling you that Jesus rose from the dead, but he didn't, but he did not really raise from the dead, we're a false witness of God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then Christ is not raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, yet and yet you're in your and you're still in your sins. If Christ didn't really suffer for the sins of the world and resurrect from the dead, you're been you're banished from the presence of God forever. You have no resurrection, you'll not be resurrected, you will not be able to overcome spiritual death and return to live with your heavenly father. Then they also which are fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ have just simply perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Okay, then in 24, then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And he did that. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things, here we go, false apostate Christians. For he hath put all things, God, God, God hath put all things under Jesus. They're two separate beings. They're not one and the same person. They're two separate beings. 
for it put all things under his Christ's feet. The Father, separate being, put all things under the Son, separate being's feet. But when he saith, now Paul, I need to make this clear, right? But when he saith, all things are put under him, Jesus Christ, it is manifest that he, God, is accepted. He did not put himself under Jesus Christ's feet. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They are not equal. Uh, uh, they're, they're, not, they're not equal. They are not equal. Get rid of that false heretical doctrine. That is false. It is not biblical. Christ is subject to the Heavenly Father. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto, unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, God, that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. They are not equal. Get rid of that false doctrine of the, of the false heretical Trinitarian creeds that are abominations in Jesus Christ's eyes. Jesus Christ himself declared that in 1830, 200 years ago, that those creeds are an abomination unto him. Reject those. Those creeds should be burned down, destroyed, and we should forget as a world that, we, that there was ever any kind of Christian church that ever believed such, such embarrassing such embarrassing nonsense, false, complete nonsense, false doctrine. Okay, 29. And here we go again. You've been lied to, haven't you? Here we go. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? So again, proof that the early Christians were being baptized for those who had passed on those who had not had the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and accept it. They were doing temple work for their relatives and for others and being baptized for those who had, who had died without knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those, there's some, some of you come from churches where your false leaders have tried to go out and destroy, and destroy true Christianity by trying to knock down that as one of the doctrines, baptism for the dead. Biblical doctrine, biblical doctrine. If you believe in the Bible, you got to believe in baptism for the dead. Paul clearly teaches it here, doesn't he? He references that they're being baptized for the dead right here. Right here. You've been lied to again. You've been lied to. You've been lied to that the Father and the Son are equal in authority. We just read that. Paul just knocked down that false belief. Now he just knocked down the false notion that there was no baptism for the dead. It's right here, right here. And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? <clears throat> okay, moving on now to 33. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners, whether people say bad words or uh, create false stories about others or spread uh, um, um, rumors or um, all those types of things are, you know, corrupt good manners. 35 through 36. But some men will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? Here we go again, right? 
thou fool. Oh, wow. He sounds like Jesus Christ, doesn't he? Here drops the four-letter F-bomb here, ancient culture. Jesus had said in the Sermon of the Mount, those who say fool to your brother shall be in danger of hellfire. And yet we see Jesus continue to drop this four-letter F-bomb multiple times throughout the scriptures. Even when he rose from the dead, remember when he's a resurrected uh, being, he's still dropping this four-letter F-word. And now Paul's doing the same thing here, right? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it dies. So the body needs to first die. That's a that's a law of science, law of nature. We will all die. Even those of us will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. We'll first die, right? 39 through 43. All flesh is not the same, but there is one kind of flesh of man. They have a different body from beasts. They have different body from fishes and from birds, all different types of bodies. Here we go in 40. False apostate Christians, here we go. There are also celestial bodies. So some bodies will be celestial bodies, some terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. Paul, your own guy, your own man failed you again, didn't he? Apostate, evangelical Christians, your man, your own guy. Paul, he just failed you again, didn't he? He just once again proved that the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints is 100% true, didn't he? You all believe one heaven, one hell. <laughs> Where do you come up with an idea like that? It's not taught in the Bible. What's taught in the Bible? Well, we just read here, right? There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. Three. There's three levels and uh, kingdoms of glory. There's three kingdoms of the heavens, not one. Nowhere does it say in here that you get to choose a, a harp or a flute. And then float on the clouds forever, right? That's what you believe. That's what your pastor told you. You get a choice of a flute or a trumpet, and you get to sit on a cloud. Not we're taught here, is it? What's Paul's teaching here? There's three kingdoms of glory. One equivalent to glory: the sun, the moon, and the stars. And he said, "There's." He, you can see he made a that you can see where the ancient some ancient copyist or some ancient scribe missed the final line here in 40 but we also see he's trying to match up the bodies right there's celestial bodies that would belong to the glory of the sun what's the what's the highest kingdom of glory the celestial kingdom right right here in the bible your own guy paul teaching about the celestial kingdom then the glory of the terrestrial that's the middle kingdom which is the glory comparable to the glory of the moon. And then now you 40 here, you'll see in the JST, he says here, and bodies telestial, but the glory of the celestial one and the terrestrial another and the telestial another. So you can see how he how at the end of 40, if the terrestrial is another, and then the, the ancient copyist, when he's going back and forth between the parchments, he, he just simply missed that last line, didn't he? And the and the telestial another should read should read and the telestial another which then would match in forty one the glory of the stars so clearly 
he meant three types of bodies equivalent to the three here in 41 of the glory of the sun, the glory of the moon, and the glory of the stars. But some ancient scribe somewhere simply missed writing down that final line as he was doing different manuscripts. Okay, great. So here it is again. Uh, and uh, those of you who have been taught one heaven, one hell, have again been lied to. You have every right to be angry with your minister, with your pastor. But what are you going to do about it, right? Are you going to just go away angry the rest of your lives? Or are you going to deter determine that you're going to join Jesus Christ's true church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and be baptized by those who hold the praise and authority of God? I certainly pray that they'll choose that option, right? Be mad. Be angry. They lied to you. They jeopardized your soul going to hell with weeping and wailing and ashes of tears. You have every right to be upset that they continue to lie to you. And now all five of these lessons of Paul, we've, seen, we've exposed again and again and again where your evangelical ministers lied to you. Some cases, some of them might have been good-hearted and they have been lied to themselves, and then they just passed on the lies to you. But you've all been lied to by your evangelical uh, ministers, whether directly or whether they were lied to by somebody else and then passed the lie on to you. You have been lied to multiple, multiple, multiple times. Review these last five lessons, the two on Romans and these three on First Corinthians, and you'll continue to be exposed to the false doctrine you've been preached to, uh, to, to you in your lives. Now go out and reach out to the missionaries and become a mission a, a baptized member of Jesus Christ true church that actually teaches the bible that actually teaches the biblical doctrine actually believes in the bible actually teaches what paul said actually believes in paul's message <clears throat> okay so then we go to so also is the resurrection of the dead and 42 it is sown in incorruption, it is raised in incorruption. Once it has been corrupted, your body wears away, goes back to the dust. When you get resurrected, it, it raised in incorruption, it will never die again. It will never get sick again. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, either the glory of the sun, the moon, or the stars. It is raised in power. 50 through 58. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So we learn that you, while you have a body of flesh and bones, you don't have blood in your body anymore. You get some kind of celestial substance, some kind of thing that replaces the blood. Because flesh and blood, but flesh and some sort of celestial, some other substance in place of blood, that inherits the kingdom of God. 51, behold, I show, uh, show you a mystery. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Anyone alive when Christ comes back will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Well, not when he comes back, but at the end of the, um, what should we say here? The, the end of the millennial reign, 
And then this uh, extra time in season where Satan's loose one more time. After all of that, when the last trumpet shall sound, anyone still alive at that point shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on in immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory due to Jesus Christ. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain if it's in the Lord. Powerful verses of Scripture. Okay, chapter 16, and we'll just kind of look here towards the end at uh, 22 through 24. <laughs> Paul again, here we go, Paul, right? If any man does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. <laughs> let him be cursed. Let him be damned to hell. These types of uh, things, what he's trying to say here. If does, anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be cursed. Let him be damned. And then Maranatha, Aramaic here, Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Remember earlier he threatened, he asked him, do you want me to come and love when I come to see you? Or do you want me to bring a whip and start whipping you, right? So is it great that he ends this here in verse 24. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So tell him that, that he does love him. Despite all his threatenings <laughs> to whip him, despite uh, uh, calling them fools, uh, you know, the ancient... Uh, 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 four-letter F-word, right? that he's in danger of hellfire now because he said it, right? And Jesus said, if anyone says that, you're in danger of hellfire. Uh, nevertheless, uh, Paul here in, in 22, cursing those who do not love the Lord Jesus Christ. So what would he say to you, false uh, evangelical Christians, false apostates who believe in this uh, Trinitarian uh, uh, false creeds that are not written in the Bible, what we're were devised by uninspired man three and four and 500 years after the Bible was written? What would he say to you for those of you who believe in a false Jesus Christ? What would Paul say to those of you who believe that God is somehow everywhere and at, yet no, and at the same time nowhere present? In other words, atheism. One times zero equals zero, right? You can't be everywhere and at the same time nowhere present. Those of you who believe that Jesus has no body, no parts, no passions. Nowhere is that found in the gospel. Nowhere is that found in the Bible. It teaches the complete opposite, doesn't it? That Jesus rose from the dead. That he had a body of flesh and bone. That he said to his apostles, handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. The woman held him by the feet, said, hold me no longer. I have not yet ascended to my father in heaven. He ate. He ate food. He ate food. He ate fish and honeycomb with his apostles. That's what the Bible says. Do you love that Jesus or not? 
Paul would say, if you don't love that Jesus, the biblical Jesus, anathema, let you be damned, let you be cursed. If you don't believe in the biblical Jesus, let you be cursed. That's what Paul said right here. We invite you, a special invitation from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He has called missionaries throughout the world. Tens of thousands of missionaries right now are trying to serve their best, serve the Lord, to get the gospel to you, to teach you in the true principles of the Bible and what the biblical doctrine teaches and what the apostle Paul taught and Peter and James and, and Jesus, all the basic things. While the S, they had some disagreements. Yes, but the basic, like Paul said, in chapter 15 at the beginning, the basic thing that Jesus died for the sins of the world, that he was buried and he rose from the dead on the third day with a body, like the Bible says, of flesh and bones. We'll put in the description of this video a link. Just click on it. Reach out to the missionaries of the church. Let them know you're ready to accept the true biblical Jesus Christ, that you want to be one of his followers, that you want to join his one and only true church. Paul said, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Not one Lord, many faiths, many baptisms, only one. Reach out. Let those who are authorized and those who hold the priest and the power and authority of God to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. They will then lay their hands on you as the Bible again taught in Acts and give you the gift of the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost to be your constant companion throughout the rest of your life. These blessings are incalculable. They're worth everything that you can do to lay claim upon them. For those of you found in activity in the church, we welcome you with full open arms to come on back. Reach out to the leaders of your church, of your local church, local community. Say, hey, help me get back in the full community with the saints of God. He will bless you. He will pour out his spirit upon you. In closing, we bless you to have safe shelter overhead, to have food to eat. We bless you with basic financial resources to carry out God's will for your lives. We bless you, those of you who are sick or otherwise physically afflicted. We bless you in the name of Jesus Christ to be made whole that you will continue to carry out God's mission for you upon your life, to continue to reach out to those who need to be uh, reached out to and those who need to be served. We bless you with these things. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.